Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker. Through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscape of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Ethan Estes, a marine scientist, artist, and surfer who communicates the message of ocean stewardship through his sculpture. His artwork has been exhibited at venues like the World Economic Forum, the San Francisco International Airport, the Getty Museum, and Kelly Slater's Surf Ranch. We talked about his love of bluefin tuna, how it's okay to have multiple passions, and how all of the good things that have happened in his career have come from friendships. Good afternoon, Ethan, and thank you so much for having me in your art studio down here in Santa Cruz. Thanks, Aaron. Stoked to have you here. So you are the first podcast guest I've had that I get to sit across from face to face. So thank you, vaccines, <laughs> and and glad to know that you and your family have been healthy throughout this entire wild ride. Yeah, hooray for science. It's it's real um, lucky. We're really lucky to be here now. It's great. So <laughs> in terms of what's happening in this space that we are currently in, there's a lot of art, there's a lot of science, there's a combination of all the things that you love so tell us a little bit about what you're doing in this studio yeah uh we're in my art studio in santa cruz california and this is kind of where uh, this is my happy place you know this is where i get to dream up ideas and kind of return to like a childlike uh joy for just making stuff and building and experimenting so that's yeah it's literally my happy place and a lot of your art is is very ocean themed and and you had a background at Stanford in environmental science that that sort of set up your your art uh, so talk to us a little bit about how that came to be where did your passion for the ocean come from uh i've been super lucky to grow up here in santa cruz which we are right on the monterey bay national marine sanctuary like we're talking we were just at surfing pleasure point and you know there's there were literally whales swimming outside of the kelp forest and we have this incredible ecosystem. So growing up kind of soaking in that um, pretty much bestowed upon me a feeling of love for the ocean and also fear because we have like one of this, you know, this healthy population of great white sharks. And so I wanted to be a marine biologist from pretty early on. And I also made surfboards at the same time. So I loved making stuff, not art. It was really just about making cool boards. And those two things kind of came together and put me where I am now of just loving research, but also loving making stuff. And the research that you have done and, and continue to do on some level is focused on tuna, correct? Yep. Yep. My, my interest in sharks ultimately led me to study bluefin tunas, especially. They're actually very similar in their adaptations. So the lab I worked in studied both great white sharks and bluefin tunas at Stanford University. So that's been really cool because I, I, I love sharks, but tunas are so fascinating on a global stage. They have this, they're a commodity, they're a cultural, um, you know, symbol in, in Japan. And I really love studying them for those reasons. And the, what you shared with me about your trajectory through Stanford, I thought was pretty fascinating. You know, you had uh, an environmental science 
uh, track, but you really did blend it a lot with art. Got pretty lucky. Uh, I, I found a program that was interdisciplinary. And so for me, I was, I would have been a little bit bummed if I had only studied marine biology in, in college. And I found a way to take basically a third of my courses in the art department and in the in the mechanical engineering department and count those towards my science degree. So, I mean, I don't still don't know how they let me do that, but it was perfect because it's what it was what I needed to, to grow and um, find myself. And from that, you worked at the Monterey Bay Aquarium for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want the job I got. I was like, I was super ready to just uh, go full into art after graduating um, from Stanford. I did like a, a master's program right after undergrad. And I was just like done with science. I'm going to be an artist now. And I got an email from uh, Dr. Barbara Block saying, hey, I just lined up a job for you at the Monterey Bay Aquarium studying bluefin tunas. And I was like, dang it. Like <laughs> I was going to drive to Chile in a van and surf uh, <laughs> and make art. So I very begrudgingly took that job, which was a smart choice because I probably wasn't going to get offered another job <laughs> in the field of marine science. So anyway, I took the job and it was awesome. It took me all over the world studying bluefin tuna ecology and conservation. And I loved it. It was great. And then what, what happened to shift you from science being the primary way you spent your day to some of this beautiful art that we're looking at and that gets made here? That was a pretty interesting process for me. Um, and this is kind of one of my messages when I talk to kids in schools these days is like in life, it's, it's okay to have multiple passions. So the whole time I was working as a scientist, it was great and I enjoyed it and I was, I was good at it. And I kind of peaked pretty early, like 23, I was living my kind of dream job. And I, I think that uh, I knew in the background though, that I was sacrificing something. I had this creative side that I wasn't giving enough energy. And that was a hard pill to swallow. You know, some days I would just be kind of bummed that I was just crunching numbers and writing code and, you know, science can be a lot of computer time. So <laughs> I realized I wanted to work with my hands more and I left my work at the aquarium in 2014 um, and stayed on as a part-time researcher. So you so now you're free and clear mostly. And then what'd you do with yourself? I was totally ready to be free and clear, but my boss at the aquarium was like, Hey, there's this project in Japan that we're just starting. It's a collaboration to study bluefin tuna. Cause for people who don't know, uh, bluefin tunas are born in Japan and they swim across the Pacific 6,000 miles and they grow up in California and they swim back to Japan and spawn. So it's an incredible life cycle and we don't understand it that well. It's worth noting that they get caught at every step along the way. So there's this conservation element as well. So it was a really cool, juicy research project. And here I am trying to dive into like trying to become an artist for real now. Um, and I had this really cool project that I couldn't leave behind. So I took the job and begrudgingly again, and I'm really glad I did. Cause to this day, all of the art that I make is inspired by the time I spend in little fishing villages. Nobody speaks English hanging out in Japan, just in, you know, absorbing the culture in a way and drawing inspiration. So amazing. And, you know, having seen some of your pieces, they are truly amazing, but for, for folks who aren't familiar with your work, you know, it, it is 
pretty big. A lot of it's big. I mean, we're looking at a smaller piece here, but talk to us a little bit about some of the range of the pieces and where people can kind of go and check them out. Well, it's kind of funny that the art that we have sitting next to us kind of tells you a story of my growth as an artist. I started out making prints, um, like impressions. So in, in Japan, there's a tradition of gyotaku, which is where you take a tuna or a fish you've caught, and it's like, maybe it's like a big, beautiful fish, and you want to show your friends. But this is 600 years ago, and you don't have a camera. And so you ink it up with, uh, you know, ink and you lay fabric over it and press. And everywhere you press, the image of the fish will transfer the scale patterns and uh, the fins. And that's the tradition. But in being in Japan, I was exposed to a lot of cool gyotaku prints. But I realized that, okay, even if I became like a Jedi master of gyotaku, like there's still gonna be better <laughs> artists. And it wasn't a new direction. So I kind of internalized this quote, this reference, scientific reference that by the year 2050, there's estimated to be more plastic in the ocean than fish if you weigh up the mass of both. And I'm like, hey, that's kind of heavy, like well, literally, but it conceptually, you know, it's just so far out that that's what we've done to our ocean. And so I started printing on things that were um, like plastic and, and non-biodegradable, then comparing them with things like this seaweed that is degradable, will break down in, in a matter of weeks telling a story through art that would get people to care, hopefully. So that's what those were. And I've sold very few of these prints, right? So I, I made a lot of them and it was good creative exploration, but I never made money. And I didn't, wasn't able to pay the rent on the studio through that alone. So that was part of my growth as an artist of finding my bread and butter, you know, what can keep the lights on, what I like making. And that's when the rope artwork came in. Yeah, tell us this is mostly or all reclaimed what crab line or fishing line? Yeah, yeah. Crab in this case, um, here in California, we have a very active crab fishery and they change out their gear, the rope that they use to tie off to their traps. They change it out every couple of years, depending on the fishery. Um, and they don't have a real good way to recycle it, essentially. So it almost all goes into the landfill and just sits there forever. So I started in, leaving my business card at the docks and just starting to accumulate all of this material. Fishermen would call me saying, Hey, get, get up here. I'm going to do a dump run tomorrow. Like, come get it. <laughs> and I, you know, in my studio, I have thousands of pounds of ropes cubbied away. It's free. And I learned that I could essentially paint with it. This pattern is something that I was exposed to in a temple in Japan, just walking around on a random day and I saw that there was this Japanese wave pattern that um, they also make in the rock gardens as well. And I realized that it was just incredibly beautiful, simple, and evocative of like, that's motion. That's, that's a dynamic ocean. And I realized that the linearity of it would lend itself to the, the lines that I was seeing coiled up around the docks in, in, in the harbors in Japan. So that's where the inspiration came from. And, and this style has also taken form. I think there's a massive whale tail you made, right? Actually, yes, that was the first piece of art I made out of rope. I was working at the landfill in San Francisco. Uh, Recology is the you know utility, and they that company has an artist in residence program that's been going for twenty years, and they give artists like me access to the trash, like hard hat, yellow vest, shopping cart, sign your life away, liability wise, and pick go, away, go digging. Yeah, and that's where I start. One of the places I also 
came across this idea of rope as a major industrial waste. So cool. And where'd that whale tail wind up? That was a lucky experience. And it's kind of what was my first um, successful art piece. It motivated me to want to continue. Uh, it, it got picked up for a uh, group show at the San Francisco airport in 2012. Back, that was my first big, big deal. And uh, got to display it in Terminal 3, front and center. Um, and so like 5 million people walked by it that year. So it was really a huge breakthrough because I had just finished college at that point. And it was kind of what told me that I needed to keep going as an artist and not just go get a PhD. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The world sends you those messages and it's, you know, if you're, if you're wise, you pay attention and, and it seems like your exposure as an artist, your, the, the size of your projects, the, you know, the fact that you're in this studio now, and I think you're moving to even a bigger one too. Right. And it's, it just seems like you're continue to be on the up and up. And I think there's some really, I think pivotal people that had fallen into your world outside of your family and, you know, your loved ones that always supported you. Um, Tell me a little bit about some of those key players that really provided some, some really good insight support for you. Yeah. So one of the things I learned pretty early on as an artist is that there's a huge amount of room for growth and cross pollination with nonprofits. So I've started out, started out working with a group called Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii. They do these huge beach cleanup campaigns on Oahu uh, where I would just visit as a surfer. And I realized that, hey, if you walk around the corner from the North Shore on you know, pipeline and all that, there's beaches just totally covered in plastic. So I started collaborating with them, um, kind of highlighting their cause about you know the need to move past single-use plastics and using my art to advocate for that. And we created friendships there that have pretty much led to all the good things that have happened in my career. Um, one of one of the key players that kind of boosted me in a way that I just never expected was, um, you know, just by working on Oahu, I kind of fell in with the, the Johnson family. Um, the musician Jack Johnson is very passionate, um, along with his his wife Kim, to about promoting sustainability generally but specifically fighting single-use plastics Mm. and promoting sustainable agriculture. So again, it was this alignment where it's like, this is what I'm dedicating my art and my life to, and so are they. And it just kind of fell in where we've been working together ever since. So amazing. And and then once you're kind of in, I always like to say that all the good people hang together. And it's sort of like, and you are one of those people. It makes complete sense (laughs) that, you know, someone who's on their authentic path and and following all the things that matter to them and that are good for the world, et cetera, it's going to eventually, if you stay the course, it's going to, it's going to result in some really amazing people that show up and help you. And also, you know, who get inspired by you. So there's Jack Johnson, his family. And, and then from that, you know, you got connected with, Kelly Slater in the, in the surf ranch and got a piece down there too, right? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Uh, I, I made this sculpture um, out of 20,000 golf balls that were collected out of the ocean off of Pebble Beach, California, very close to here. And uh, golf balls, it turns out, are, have all kinds of weird proprietary rubbers and <laughs> compounds inside of them that could be quite harmful in the marine environment. So um, a local teenager had collected 50,000 uh, just holding her breath, diving down with her dad and with her friends. 
And she sent me an email and said, hey, do you want to make a sculpture to raise awareness about this issue? I've got 50,000 golf balls in my garage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be serious. Not just like, I Googled it right away. How much does a golf ball weigh? And they're heavy, they're dense. And 20,000 golf balls is about 3,000 pounds. So I welded this giant wave sculpture uh, out of steel, covered it in golf balls, collected out of the ocean. And we needed to, we crowdfunded the whole thing. Uh, so, cause it, that doesn't just build itself. It's super expensive material. It's worth noting, we built it on a trailer, like a flatbed, so I could tow it around to different events. And when I was thinking about, okay, who needs to see this? Who would be a good advocate for this issue? Kelly Slater was the first person that came to mind because he's like a pro level golfer in addition to being like one of the best, the best surfer in the world. So I hit him up on Instagram and I'm like, hey Kelly, like I'm building this thing. I'm, I'm friends with the people at WSL. They're supportive, but we need your green light to be able to show it at the surf ranch. And he shot right back, like, sure. Like, who do I need to talk to? I was like, oh, dang. So we brought it, we de debuted that sculpture for the Freshwater Pro surf contest at the surf ranch and got tons of people barreled. Like, you know, everybody wants to surf the wave, but we had like a consolation prize, which is the sculpture that was interactive. You can stand inside the wave and like pretend you're getting barreled and think about, uh, think critically about what does it mean when we uh, don't take care of the ocean? You know, this is like, a, it's like a personal reflective piece where you're in there and like, it's a lot of waste like that we have dropped out there. It's funny, the one and only other time I've been in this studio, you had just drums and drums of these golf balls and you were <laughs> drill pressing them. And, and you're like, Aaron, I'm sorry, it stinks like the high heaven in here because those things had been at the bottom of the ocean for a while. And I mean, you were only through some micro amount of them. And then however many months later, you brought it up, you, you trailered it up to San Francisco and I got to get in that wave. And there's a picture of me getting barreled. I think, I don't know if I'm in there with my little girl or not, but we'll, we'll maybe we'll post it for everybody. Heck yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, no, they stank because they, they had uh, a biological growth on them from soaking in the ocean. And yeah, the whole studio smelled, but you know, uh, and, and that's kind of part of the story is that these things, they roll around on the seafloor and either they get like encapsulated with growth or that rolling mo movement essentially sandblasts them. Hmm. And so they start lo losing their outer layers of plastic and they have these like heavy metals in their cores hmm. that, um, heavy metals can wreak havoc on, um, invertebrates and stuff. So they're, they're pretty toxic. And then there's thousands, you know, I would say millions of them still in the water off of Pebble Beach. Yeah. I mean, kudos to that girl and her father for grabbing 50,000 of them. That's impressive. Yeah. That's Alex Weber at the plastic pickup. She's really inspirational. Yeah. Right on. And so it was just such a cool story. I mean, it's just like, you just continue to, to follow what you're up to be brave and go after it. You know, you know, email Kelly Slater. I mean, you also, I think there's that great story of you toting a piece of art down to, down to San Diego without actually even really being invited to the art show. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's actually the first time that I connected with uh, Jack Johnson on um, about art anyway, was that I had heard about this art show that was part of the United Nations um, environment program. And it was at a conference on plastic pollution in San Diego. And I'm like, how did I not hear about this? Like, I got to get in there. And I, I called the young lady who had organized the event. I was like, hey, could I bring a piece in? And she's like, well, artist just dropped out. So I have a blank spot on the wall. 
and this is like the day before the event. I'm like, I'll get it there by, by nightfall. And I jumped in my car with a piece of art, drove it down, got the art in the show. And the next day I drove home. Um, I, I just felt worthwhile. I don't know why. And the next day I got a picture of, of Jack um, standing with my art, like in the text that said, hey, Jack and his wife really like your art. Like they want your piece. And I'm like, uh, they can have it. <laughs> like they're legends, you know? And it turns out they had funded the whole art show in the first place. So I'm like, they freaking earned it, you know? Like it's, it's theirs. And that just led to a conversation, email and a friendship, you know, just we've, we've, you know, been friends since. And, um, it's funny thing is the email that I followed up with, with them, I was like, Hey, PS someday, I hope to make a big wave sculpture on Oahu and, you know, let me know if that sounds cool or something like that. And they shot back like, yeah, like that sounds really cool. Let's talk. We ended up meeting up in Japan, uh, backstage at a festival that Jack was playing like super randomly. And uh, I'm like, hey, and we're like, hey, let's make this wave sculpture happen. And so they helped fund it in, in part, and they created a coalition with Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii, Turtle Bay Resort, Hydro Flask, all these cool brands, the World Surf League. And all of a sudden it was just, the pressure was on like, okay, we, we built a coalition and now I just need to build this thing. And I had three weeks and I put together an interactive wave sculpture all made out of like discarded rope and trash collected off the beach. So it's like, you never know how like a random act of just like sending it down the coast to put your art in the show is gonna all of a sudden turn into the biggest opportunity of your career, you know? So. <laughs> I mean, you're just, it's a testament for so many things that this show I feel like is, is really all about. It's like, you gotta, you gotta be willing to be whatever you wanna be. You can be so many different things at the same time. You gotta be willing to, to, to put the feet in one foot in front of another or get behind the wheel and go you got to ask for what you're looking for you got to repeatedly ask it's it's so awesome and to to see this progress and so it's it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger so you've got a couple other things that are happening that are currently in the pipeline or soon to come so you know maybe when we as a wrap-up let's hear a little bit about you know what the next step is for you you know it's kind of one of those random stories where it's like i met this dude I had a fundraiser for like the surf industry, like in the conservation and he's a nice older gentleman sitting next to me. We, we made small talk, remembered his name and that was it. And ended up running into him at a bar on the North shore, like the only bar, uh, Lele's. And I'm like, Hey Randy, how's it going? We had a beer and that was it. And then I get a call from him like six months later. Hey Ethan, I got this art project. I think you'd be perfect for, can you make me one of those whale tail sculptures? but can you make it last a hundred years? And I'm like, oh dang, like this is the call I've been waiting for. Cause I had an idea already that mm -hmm. I could wrap a form in metal cable instead of just rope and make something that was permanent and spoke to the heaviness of the, the impacts of like industrial shipping on whales. Cause they get hit by cargo ships. They get hit by you know, all different types of large ships. And I thought the metal could, could speak to that issue. And so Randy, dialed me in and put me at the front of the line. I pitched it to the city of Huntington beach and I'm about to start building this thing. So giant 12 foot tall blue whale tail that's diving down into the ocean, yeah, into the sidewalk in Huntington beach. Amazing. <laughs> and so from start to finish, what do you estimate it'll be to, to pull it off? 
um timeline yes yeah. uh yeah uh once the uh the funding drops it, i have no idea yeah <laughs> that's the, okay here's the funny part of the story and hopefully nobody's listening who is worried about this but i've actually never welded stainless steel a day in my life i've welded other materials um so good news is i'm working with my neighbor who is a professional fabricator we're going to weld the structure I'm working with an engineer it's going to make sure it's all safe and we're just going to send it so it could take six months maybe eight months I have literally no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but you've got, you've got this track record, right? Is you've done this before is, you know, whether it's welding or it's, you know, something else It's like, I feel like once you get in the habit, uh, whether, whether you learn the habit or whether you just always believe, you know, through this concept of delusional optimism <laughs> and, and then the experience you gain each time you break a new trail, I just think it builds and it builds and it builds. So I have no doubt. Uh, and I'll, I'm sure those who, who know and love you don't doubt either that you'll pull this thing off big time. Thank you. Oh, I, I, I think to a certain extent, um, taking risk as an artist is really important. Um, that's where the learning happens and also where these kind of like quantum leap experiences are because like this is by far the the most expensive project I've made and hopefully I can make more pieces of this scale and so you definitely have to take risk and I, I think that's also creatively like and just personally that's why I shifted towards art because science I kind of expect I kind of knew what to expect I would show up every day you know 10 months of computer work and two months of field work it's pretty cool but still it, it was a little predictable that I would just be sitting at a computer for the rest of my career. And so I, I really shifted to art because of the, the never ending challenge, it's essentially about creating problems that nobody else has created and then figuring out how to solve them before in a, in a way that's never been done. So, and, and, yeah. you know, watching you in your progression too, and, and how you've designed your life, you know, you, you were, you were tracking to this, potential career in life that maybe wasn't going to make you as happy. But now it's like, you've got this studio back in your hometown, which you love. You're doing projects at a scale that, you know, bring you joy, challenge you, excite you. You know, you're going to get married soon. You know, you bought a new house. You've got all of this just amazingness. And it's just so fantastic to see because I remember, you know, us talking a couple of years ago about, you know, just what you were trying to call in and, and what you were up against and the challenges and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just so cool to see the fact that, you know, you pulled it off. <laughs> it's great. I appreciate that, man. It's good to have the perspective. Cause like it, it, the day to day is like, put one foot in front of the other, like keep cranking out the art. And it's easy to lose track of, of where it started, like making, making prints that don't sell. It's fun, <laughs> but like, you're not going to make a living on it to have all of a sudden been to a position where I'm like, Oh wow. Like this is the biggest project I've ever made. Like that, 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 that learning curve has been pretty intense and I, um, appreciate the perspective. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I appreciate you and welcoming into the studio and getting a chance to have this conversation and all the best and, uh, excited to see this, this Huntington beach well tell when it's done. And I don't think it's the biggest yet. I think there's just more and more coming. So we'll see how it goes. I appreciate it, my friend. Good to see you. Hey, thank you. Aaron. The Trailbreaker podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Morey. More interviews and videos can be found at AaronFeinberg.com.